You guys are awesome. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm kind of coming in partway through a series um, again, so this is good, but I thought actually for, before I start, it would be really helpful um, for me to kind of get some engagement from you guys about where we're up to. So, who wants to give me some update on what happened last week? Last week we heard about Rahab, and it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. What was? Well, why I seem to win. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was Jacob. <laughs> it's probably um, I got from it, but it's um, probably the ugly was how Rahab has been seen herself, not, not so much what she about her, yeah. what she may have done, so, but how she's been defined. She's known right. as you know, Rahab the prostitute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's probably the ugly that I see. Yeah. Um, that she's not defined as a person made in God's image. You know? mm. Yeah. It's mm. good. I like that. Okay. Um, yeah. So Gideon is um, obviously where we're looking today, um, and I think one of the things that really struck me when I first heard about this series was really that. You know, God God will use just about anyone to get his you know, his plans accomplished. You know, um and and, and the way I thought about it was like you've got this perfect God who's wanting to build this perfect world or this perfect kingdom and, and he's using imperfect people to get that job done. You know, and um and I, I kinda take encouragement from that because I can go and look at people like Rahab and others and um, sorry my phone's just doing that um, and I look at myself and I'm like I, I know I don't get everything right you know um, I, I know that there's a lot of mistakes that I'll make um, either well intentioned or sometimes maybe even not so much well intentioned but there's things that I don't get right um, but knowing that God still has a plan for me that's going to build his kingdom his purpose um, in, in my life and the lives of the people around me is, is really encouraging so um, yeah so like the, the, I, th- I think you know the idea that God wants to use that this perfect God wants to build a perfect kingdom using imperfect people is is really powerful you know so um, I wanted to, to kind of look at well how did God interact with Gideon because um, obviously that's the, the story we're looking at today does anyone remember what was going on in Israel when God first spoke to Gideon in the book of Judges? Does anyone know that? They're being attacked. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, they were in the promised land and, and there's all these other groups who yep. were living there yep. who would be attacked and all that. And so um, kind of the judges, sounds like the judges were all like the warlords. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you spoke about Samson recently. Is that right? Yes. So he was one of the judges. Um, and I think one of the things that struck me with, with the stories of the judges is he, you'd hear about Israel's kind of being attacked and oppressed by these people. Um, and then this judge kind of stands up to the enemy and, you know, wins some battles or does some accomplishments and then, you know, distributes all this wisdom and knowledge and, and Israel has peace for a while and then it all kind of falls apart again, you know. And it's like this pattern where we see, not just throughout the book of Judges, but really throughout the whole Bible, where we see God sets things up perfectly and people living in that environment start to take the focus off God and they start in this case worshipping another God called Baal you know setting up these Asherah poles for you know for them to go and pray and honour these other gods and and that was this was the house that Gideon lived in he grew up in this place where you know he and all the people around him had heard stories about God the God who brought them out of Egypt and into the promised land and delivered them and set them free but they lived in this place where that God wasn't honoured. He wasn't, you know, he was talked about, he was remembered, but he wasn't honoured. He wasn't part of their real life. And what we see is um, that this angel turns up. And, I mean, it's easy when you read it in the Bible to go, oh, it's an angel, um, because it says it's an angel. But, you know, to Gideon, this is just some guy turning up, right? And, and it's, so this guy turns up while Gideon's, you know, trying to hide out because basically what's going on is, as you've said, the Midianites, the, the local, you know, next door neighbours basically, um, have been coming in and taking all of their harvest, leaving the Israelites with nothing, ruining their farms, you know, killing people and just basically doing whatever they wanted and leaving Israel with nothing. And, and that's been going on for a little while. Um, so this was like obviously some of the other judges had done their thing and peace and prosperity and everyone's happy and then you know Israel's going the other way and they're worshipping Baal now and they don't have the protection of God and, uh, and, and this is the scenario there and so Gideon's in there um, in this wine press you know threshing wheat hiding away um, trying not to be found because he knows that if the Midianites know that he's got that food they're going to come and take it from him and so he's hiding. And, um, and this guy, you know, turns up and, um, and comes up to him and says, God's with you, you mighty warrior. And how's that for a greeting? Who'd like to be greeted like that? Yeah? Yeah. And, and I love Gideon's response. He's like, oh, come on now. If God's really with me, then why are we under so much why is all these problems happening? Why are we being attacked? Why am I having to hide over here? You know, is God really with me? Yeah. God, the question. And you look at it like, you know, you go back to the very first time God was challenged. It was in the Garden of Eden. And it was the same kind of question. You know, is God really saying this? You know, is God really... And, and so often that's, that's where these doubts start in our, in our own minds. Is God really with you? Does he really care about... Has he really forgiven you? You know? Or do you still need to kind of measure up some way? 
you know. And this is, this is Gideon's first question. Well, if God's really with us, why, why are we in this trouble? And, and it was interesting because, you know, this guy's turned up and, and pointed at Gideon and said, you know, God's with you. And, and he doesn't even want that much attention. He's like, oh, if God's not with us, he's trying to bring everyone else and try to hide himself. Because that seems to be Gideon's nature, is he just doesn't want to be in front. He wants to be hidden. Um, but we'll get into more of that in a bit. So, if God's really with us, why are we going through all this? And, and, and this is the part that I really love. Angel turns around and says, go in that strength you've got and set the nation free. Which book? Did you listen to me? And, and this, is, this is just what happens. Like Sometimes God doesn't want to listen to your whinging. You know? Sometimes he just wants to tell you, you know what, I'm sending you. Just, just go, just do it, I'm with you, it's okay. And this is the story that we see here. You know, the angel says to Gideon, go in your strength. And the strength wasn't an internal strength, it was the strength of God has called, you know, God is with you. And, um, and so it's, it's almost like I read that as in, the angel turns up and says, God's with you, you mighty warrior, go in strength that I've given you. It's like, you know, there's this little gap in there where Gideon's, oh, hold on. But the angel's not paying any attention to that. You know, God's not paying any attention to that. It's no, just move straight on. And, um, and so that's, that's the, the kind of the first thing. And what Gideon does next is interesting, you see. Um, he, asks, he asks for a sign, and, and um, long story short, you know, the angel basically touches some food that, the angel, uh, that Gideon had prepared for him. And there's this, like, fire comes up from the rock and burns up the sacrifice. And, and, and then the guy disappears and, and Gideon's like, oh, no, I've seen God, I'm going to die. This, this is basically what's going on there. So uh, after Gideon kind of realises he's not dead, um, the, he hears this message from God uh, that he, he's meant to go and destroy the altar of Baal and the Asherah. So um, Gideon, being the, the confident man that he is, gets up and goes out immediately. And says, no, 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 that wasn't right. He gets a whole bunch of the servants in the middle of the night and goes and sneaks up to the place and uses some bulls to tear down the pole, cuts it up and sacrifices to God, which is what he was told to do. Um, but he does it all in the middle of the night. And, and so... The next day, all of the household um, are basically, they turn up to do their worship and they can't because it's all been torn down. And so they, they start asking questions, what's going on? And eventually, you know, fingers start pointing at Gideon. And, um, and so they go to Gideon's dad, the, the head of the house, and say, this guy's messed up our place of worship. Uh, we're going to kill him now. So give him to us so we can kill him. Um, and, and I, I think that's like that's just an interesting moment here. Is you know like we get challenged quite a bit, you know, around our worship. You know, do we worship God? Do we honor God? You know, and other people want to have their freedom to worship God. This is happening in Israel inside the tribe of uh, Manasseh. You know, this this man 
was a leader in Israel and he was in his own house allowing the worship of other gods. And, and, and when Israel was sent into the promised land, they were told really, really clearly just not to have that anywhere in the whole country. They were to tear down all the altars. They were to kill anyone who wanted to worship those gods. So like, just wipe it out. Those gods had no place in Israel. This is what God said to them, right? And, and what happened is, obviously, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't do that. And as their kids have grown up, you know, the young guys are seeing these young girls and they're like, oh, you know, she's a bit exotic. She's a bit different. And so they start marrying, you know, exactly as God had said would happen. And the worship of God and honor of God in Israel kind of diminished, you know, and, and all these other gods started to take place. And so, so Gideon's grown up in that house. That's what's happened. And all these people who are, who are expecting their they have this right to worship these other gods in essentially God's house. Right? This is, you know, the house of Israel. And, and um, Gideon's father's response to this moment was, was really interesting as well. Because he didn't turn around and say, oh, no, no, we don't worship Baal. You know, it's okay. Because like, obviously they did. You know, so he couldn't really say that. Um, and he didn't say, all right, well, yeah, okay, have, have him, you know, you can go and kill him, that's all right. He, he's wronged you, so obviously, you know, you have a right to kill him now. He said, well, actually, you know what? Why are you standing up for your God? You know, let Baal stand up for himself. If Baal wants to punish Gideon, let Baal punish Gideon. You know, stay out of it. And, um, and so, basically, just diffuse the whole situation without actually anything happening immediately after that um, the Midianites had come in with a war party and, and the, um, the, the kind of giant neighbours the Amalekites had come in and they were coming in to uh, do their normal raids and, and take everyone's food because that's what they had been doing for a while now and, um, and, and the verse there says that the spirit of God caused Gideon to blow a trumpet sound the war counts and get everyone together. And, um, and it, it's the first time we see Gideon just doing what God said without questioning or asking for some proof of anything. Like, it's just, it just happened. Almost, almost as if, like, he didn't have any control over it, you know. Um, and so Gideon blows a trumpet, gets everyone together. And in the end, what, what, what we find is that there's this army of about 135,000 men and chariots and, and whatever, they've come in to raid and destroy and do what they wanted. And Gideon's gathered up around 32,000 men, okay? And so <clears throat> Gideon looks at these things and he's like, oh, I'm a bit nervous about this. I don't know if I really want to go through it. And so he says, God, look, I need you to prove yourself to me. Right? I want to know that you're really with me. So he gets like a, a sheepskin, a, a fleece, and he puts it down on the, on the ground in the same place where he first met the angel. And, um, and he asks God to send him this sign for this fleece to be wet and for the ground to be dry in the morning. And I love this you know, request because he's basically bought himself a full day at the very least. You know? <laughs> because he can't even check that until tomorrow. So he's like, oh, let's put it back a little bit here. Anyway, it goes in there, and of course, we all know the story. The fleece is wet, the ground is dry, and it's really obvious that God has asked him to do this thing. 
And so Gideon, being a man full of faith, stands up and goes, no, that wasn't right. Gideon gets all nervous again and says, oh, look, God, I know you've proven yourself to me, but just maybe one, one more time. Will you make the ground wet and the fleece dry for me? Just, just to really, really fill me with confidence here. And so, of course, you know, get, buys himself another day and, you know, goes in the next morning and, what do you know, the fleece is dry, the ground is wet, God's done exactly what he's asked for. There's, there's just no denying it now. God's asked him to do this thing and he has to go and do it, okay? So we've seen Gideon see signs and wonders, he's gone out and taken some action, he's torn down an altar, he hasn't been killed, you know, like things are going all right for him. He blows the war council. Everyone actually turns up. This is amazing. You know, still got no real confidence. But surely by now, he's got to have some idea that God actually wants to do this, right? And so he gets everyone together and, um, and he hears God speaking to him again. And, and this time God says, you know what? I want glory for this. I don't want you to get the glory. So there might be 135,000 men over there and you might only have 30,000. But... That's too many, you know, because if you go and fight them, they'll just think maybe you're a really good army and you're good at fighting or something all of a sudden. So um, I want you to tell everyone who's scared that they can leave. And so Gideon stands up in front of everyone and says, yeah, we're going to go and fight these guys who have been killing us for a while. If, if, If that makes you nervous, you can go. And I'm surprised Gideon actually stuck around because I'm sure he was one of those guys, right? But um, so two-thirds of them leave, 22,000 guys. So he left the 10,000 men against 135,000. Surely by now, we were, you know, like, you can't really say that that's... But no, God, God sets out a second fleece in front of Gideon and says, you know what, that's still too many. So he gets them to go down to the river and to drink some water. And he says, all right, so for everyone who drinks the water and laps it up like a dog, you keep those guys, and the rest of them you send home. And he winds up with 300 men. Okay, so this is, this is the, the 300 men that Gideon's going to go and overthrow this 135,000 strong army with. Like, you've got to know that this is going to be God or nothing, right? You know, this is the only way forward here is God. And Gideon gets out there and... God says to him that night, look, I can see that you're still a bit concerned. You're a little bit anxious about this. I don't know why. But, um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> so he sends Gideon down. He says, take your servant down if you're still scared. If you're still worried about this, take your servant down to the camp and just have a listen. So he goes down there and he overhears the soldiers doing the perimeter watch, talking to each other. And one says to the other, I had this dream the other night that a loaf of bread rolled down the mountain and, and onto our camp and it tipped over all the tents. And it's like, yeah, if I had that dream, I'm not telling anyone about it. That's just weird. <laughs> but his mate who's there with him says, oh, I know what that means. Yeah, no, that's Gideon, you know, the God of Israel is going to give our whole army into Gideon's control and he's going to defeat us. And it's like, if, if I thought that's what it meant, I'm not saying that. <laughs> like, no, but this is what Gideon heard. 
Okay, and so he goes back up full of confidence and, and you know, gives, gives his men these lanterns and they surround the, the camp and smash the, the things and make some noise and call out, you know, the Gideon for Gideon. And uh, the whole Midianite camp, you know, wakes up in confusion and start killing each other, thinking that the enemy's there. And, um, and, that's, and that's basically kind of the, the bulk of that story. That, you know, the victory's won. They all take off and start running away. And so then Gideon, um, with his 300 men, starts chasing about 10,000 or so that are left. Uh, 10 or 15 or something. Some large number. Much more than their 300. And they're chasing them across the country. And um, you know, it takes a while. But he gets to a place where he's like, you know, running out of provisions. We're going to need some more food, some more water, something. So he stops in at these... Um, at this town it says I'm chasing these guys we're going to kill them we just need some food and some water so we can get on our way and they say no you haven't even done the job yet you know when you've got their heads in your hand then we'll give you some food and water and um, and Gideon being you know the wonderful forgiving man that he is says oh okay yeah now we'll go and finish your job and come back and eat later no no he says you know what we're going to come back, but we're going to come back and punish you for the way you've treated us. And he goes to the next town and does exactly the same thing, has the same conversation. And, and still this sense of, you know, unforgiveness and, and you know, righteous indignation, if you want to call it that. Because, you know, Gideon's there with the men doing the work of God, setting Israel free, and his own people won't even recognise what he's doing. They won't support him at all. And, you know, so he keeps chasing him on and winds up killing the kings, coming back and punishing all the elders and um, killing a whole bunch of guys in his own town, you know. And, and this is kind of really towards the end of the story of Gideon because what we see next is uh, the Israelites, the army come together with him and say, hey, you've won this great victory. We want you to be our king. And Gideon says, oh, no, no. I don't want to be king, no, no. Because he knows what happens to kings, you see. They get their heads cut off. Um, he, he says, no, no, God is our king. Um, but you know what? Give me some of your treasure. And so he gets the whole army, every man, to go and throw in some gold from some of the treasure that they got. And he winds up making this ephod, it's called, but it's basically just a religious icon. And takes it home and sticks it in his temple at home. And the whole house basically starts spending time worshipping this gold icon, you know. And so we, we go full circle. We go from this place where Gideon is in this house where uh, these other gods are being honoured and the whole house and everyone in it worships someone other than God. And there's this whole big story, sets Israel free, it's no longer oppressed by the Midianites, and yet they're still not worshipping God. Not really. You know, they're off worshipping this icon, this idol. And you remember Gideon said he didn't want to be king, but the truth is he lived as if he was the king. You know, he still ruled, essentially, over Israel at that time. And, and they all came to him and he still made his judgments and, and took his payments and had, you know, 70-odd wives, and uh, 70 children to a whole bunch of different <laughs> wives, sorry. Uh, and... After he died, we're told that the child he had to a concubine, so the woman who 
wasn't really worthy of marriage, who's probably not an Israelite because otherwise he probably would have married her, um, that child decides he's going to, you know, stand up and be king. And so he kills all the other brothers. And, and this is the way Gideon's story ends. And you know, we talk about ugly. He's, he's living in a house where they're worshipping a piece of gold. And when he dies, his kids kill each other so that they can take control of the nation, which he didn't even want. And I guess the thing that stands out to me in all of this is the fact that God had called it, right? Before it had all happened, God had already warned um, Israel about exactly what was going to happen. You see, you go back into Deuteronomy where Israel is going into the promised land in chapter 7. And I'm just going to read out this passage here. It says, God says to Israel, you should tear down their altars and smash their pillars and, and um, tear down their ashram and burn their images with fire. For you're a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you are more in number than anyone else or because, but be, you know, in fact, you are the fewest. But the Lord chose you because he loved you and he's keeping the promise he swore to your fathers. He brought you out of Egypt by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and... Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay. Now, that wasn't actually the verse that I was looking for, but anyway. It It was a little bit later on. So this is... That, that verse was in there because God had said, you know, like, I'm not choosing you because you're good. And I think this is for, hopefully, for all of us here tonight. God's not choosing you because you're good. He's not choosing you because you've got it together. He's not choosing you because, you know, you tithe or because you, um, you know, you put money in the box to, to support the church or because you have a, a world vision child. He's not choosing you because you're, you know, really good at making up songs or, you know, painting. He's not choosing you for any of those things. He's choosing you because he loves you. He's choosing you because he cares about you. And that's it. He created you and he's choosing you. That's it. So Gideon went through all this stuff and he made all these mistakes and he did all this stuff that was wrong. But God chose him and chose Israel because he loved them. He created them and he loved them. And there's this other passage here which I wanted to reference. It. Um, it's later on in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. And it says, The Lord your God will deliver them before you. He will throw them into great confusion until they're destroyed. It sounds like you know, when Gideon was attacking that, uh, that camp, right? He will deliver their kings into your hand so that you will make their name perish from under heaven. No man will be able to stand before you until you've destroyed them. And again, Gideon chases them down until he gets their kings and he cuts their heads off and he's, you know, that's it, end of the line. The graven images of their gods you are to burn with fire. Don't covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves 
or you'll be snared by it because it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Do not bring it into the house, into your house, or you will come under the same ban. And you, will, uh, you need to detest it and abhor it because it is something that is banned. So when Israel went into the promised land, they were told really clearly what was going to happen. And Gideon knew this. This is part of what he had to memorize as a child growing up. Um, and he's gone into this place knowing full well exactly what was happening. This was God setting them free and giving them this opportunity. And he got caught up in what was right in front of him. The, the shiny gold, you know, the bit of treasure, the bit of fame, the bit of glory, the bit of power. You know, God had sent, you know, 32 and a half thousand, I don't know people home out of that army because he said no I need the glory for this I don't want you getting any of the glory here right and at the end of it Gideon's pretending he's not wanting the glory oh no no God is our king you know I don't want to be your king but then we see the truth you know, give me the give me a bit of the treasure you know come and talk to me later I'll sort you out you know and and it's this is the temptation we all face you see, God speaks to us and gives us some direction, and we're like, "Oh yeah, that's really cool." You know, I want to do that thing. I want to, you know, I want to go and start that church. I want to go and do that missions trip. I want to, you know. And you come back from that all fired up, you know, thinking you've you've done everything right. And that's where temptation sets in. You know, it's easy to get caught up in pride. It's easy to get caught up in, you know, the glory of preaching. You know, getting up here, you're like, yeah. It's really cool. I get to stand up and tell people about how awesome God is. And then everyone will tell me how good I am. <laughs> and I'll feel good about myself. <clears throat> but it's not the point. It's not what it's about. God needs the glory. He's the one who's doing all the work here. You know, this has nothing to do with me. This has nothing to do with any of us. We've got to honor God. Because that's, that's where our help comes from. He's the one who gets us through when things are tough, when we're being attacked and oppressed. He's the one who brings us victory. You know, it's nothing we do in ourselves. We can't. You know? And sometimes it feels like you know, we've done well and we want to take credit for everything ourselves. But we've got to remember that it's God who's given us even the ability to step through that. You know? and, and I just think if, if there's one lesson in the life of Gideon, it's, it's to remember that we've got to honour God. It's not just about talking nice about God. It's not just about even doing what God says. Because you know, Gideon did that. He did what God said. But the part that was ugly was the part where he just wanted the, the bit of glory for himself, the bit of power for himself, the little bit of treasure. And it, and it twisted it around until he's dying in a house and his kids are killing each other and he doesn't know God anymore. He knows power, he knows influence, but he's walked away from God. And it's something that is so easy to do. And I just want to challenge you, I guess. Um, don't let that ugliness slip into your heart, in your conversations. You know, God is good, and he loves us, and he has good things for us. We've got to honour that, and honour him, and give him glory for the good in our lives. Because if we think it's all coming from us, you know, 
we can wind up going down a, a dangerous path and getting things twisted around. So yeah, that's it.